You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to a brand new edition of the Sephora Podcast. I am Jimmy Dare. With me as always is Max Rappaport. Max, how you doing? Doing great, Jim. Max, this, this recording got pushed back a couple of times, but it worked out perfectly for us, actually although it is late on the East Coast, uh, because we pushed it back and we experienced two consecutive road wins. Isn't that something, Max? The The sad part is, before we started recording, Jim had to ask, and I didn't know, uh, have the Sixers won back-to-back road games at all this season before these last two? And they actually had. It was the first two road games they played of the year in October. Yeah, the second and third and game of the seasons. Yeah, That is so rough. Yeah, <laughs> that's so nuts to be a team that's twenty nine and sixteen and only have that happen two times. Yeah, they've lost three in a row on the road. Oh, actually, no, that was one, two, three. That's five in a row they lost on the road. That one, one stretch there, and there was another stretch where they lost four in a row on the road. I'm oh, sorry, that's, a, that's actually yeah, that's six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun stuff, man. Fun stuff. But not um, anymore. Four, four of their last four they've won. Two of their last two on the road. Yeah. They're looking up. Yeah, they're playing the Raptors uh, tomorrow, and that's never gone wrong in Toronto. Um, but yeah, I did say, I've said many times in this podcast so far this year that, you know, I will tolerate home losses if you can pull off some road wins, you know, because the road games, winning on the road is very important. Um, and granted, it was the Knicks and the Nets, um, which were not the pinnacle of, of all-time great competition. Uh, the Nets were shorthanded. The Knicks are the Knicks. Um, but still, good road wins. It's good to see the win um, happen uh, against teams when you're, you know, you're shorthanded yourself as well with a beat out and with a slightly hobbled Horford. And, I mean, let me ask you this, Max. What do you think is more of a handicap for the Sixers? Um, not having Joel Embiid or having Jonah Bolden. Ooh, man. That's rough. They've been playing playing pretty well without Embiid, not playing very well with Jonah Bolden. I swear. uh, I think he was in minus six in eight minutes or something like that, and he had four fouls. But um, I was at the game at Barclays Center, and they subbed. I I think it was to start a quarter. Because they had put Bolden in, and I was in line for the bathroom, which I got some beef with the goddamn Barclays Center bathrooms, let me tell you that much. Um, I heard in the radio broadcast in the bathroom that Bolden was in. I was like, oh, this can't be good. And then I'm like, I need another beer then. I went and got the beer line, and then by the time I got down, my brother was like, yeah, Bolden's got like 3,000. I'm like, fuck it, of course it. And then I saw him play, and he's completely, like, he's lost out there. Absolutely lost out there. Man, I thought he was going to be good. I really did. I know my brother rags on me so hard because I was like, he's got all the physical skills. But now he's bad. He's a bad player. And like having to play him is, is not good. Um, you got to see a little Kyle Quinn, didn't you? 
did get to see little Kyle O'Quinn. Got to see Kyle O'Quinn do some stuff. My dad likes Kyle O'Quinn. My dad was at the game with us, so he got to see that. Um, got to see Ferk do some Ferk stuff. Got to see a great Ben Simmons game, of course. Um, and the, the Barclays is a weird arena, man. You've been there, I assume. Yeah, I want to hear your, your Barclays takes. Here's my Barclays takes. Um, the second level is way too steep. It's like crazy steep. Uh, the lower level is like very field house ish, like college field housey in a way. Um, for a, like a pretty brand new arena, when it comes to when it comes to terms of arenas, it already seems very outdated. They're like stat boards up top are just like giant flat screen TVs, basically. The second level concourse feels very narrow and small. Um, I only went to the bathroom by my section to under this, but like there are bathrooms that have one entrance and you have to exit out the same way you came in. Oh man. That makes no sense. It makes no logical sense. And as my brother pointed out, probably a fire hazard. Like it just makes no logical sense. I'm in there and I'm crazy, like, crazy crazy no for other... an arena opened in what? 2012. Yeah. It seems, you know, having been told of Barclays like it was like this this marvelous brand new like beautiful it's I was not impressed at all also I granted it was a Monday MLK day matinee game but just the sounds of the game and the sounds of the the experience don't fill the arena it's not it doesn't carry the noise it's like I could hold a conversation with the guy with my brother next to me at this volume and it was not a problem do they still do the the uh the canned in Brooklyn chant through the through the speakers uh, not that I noticed, so they might not have been doing that. But it's so yeah, it's just like it's just quiet. It's like a quiet day at the a day at the arena. It was weird. They did have um, uh, a, a choir do like the national anthem before the game, and then they had that choir stay on the court and like sing the the players' names of Bon Introduction, which that was cool as hell. That's cool. Yeah, that was actually really cool. Here, choirs are like Spencer Dinwiddie. It was pretty great. Uh, <laughs> can you give me that one again? No, I cannot. You can rewind it if you're listening, but I'm not going to do it again. Um, but yeah, it was that part was cool. But yeah, the broadcast itself seemed kind of, or not the broadcast, the 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 uh, one I want to say broadcast, but like the audio uh, uh, in the arena, like the the in arena entertainment stuff, just wasn't loud. I don't know what it is. Maybe the Wells Fargo Center is too loud. Which could very much be part of well, it as well. You can't hear anything. You can't make out anything at Wells Fargo Center unless you're sitting right in front of one of the speakers and you're on the second level. Yeah, and you have to you have to like shout to the person next to you. So maybe if we split the difference between the two arenas, that should be the best possible in arena experience. Um, but yeah, uh, there was one T-shirt toss, and they, there was like two total guns. The rest were just guys throwing T-shirts. Like up your shirt gun game. What's the problem? They need they need Adam Aaron in their stat. They need like honestly they need Adam Aaron in there. Brooklyn basketball. Yeah. Part of it seemed kind of like like too cool, too cool for school a little bit. Um, they're going for like a like a Madison Square Garden thing or like Lakers. Like we don't need in game entertainment because I mean they were doing stuff. I just think it wasn't like it's it's almost like a bunch of half measures. And it's just also, it takes the wind out of the sails when it's literally, it literally just wasn't that loud. You know, it was, I don't know. I think it's because it doesn't carry because the, the bowl down low is, is wide set. It's narrow up top. And then the, the roof is curved like a, like an airplane hangar, you know? So the sound doesn't really bounce. It just kind of just like dissipates into the air, I think. Um, 
and it doesn't really do much for like getting getting everything going. Again, it was a day game on a Monday, um, but it was full, you know. So, so biggest takeaway: it wasn't loud. Any other thoughts on the game? Um, not really. No. Uh, on like the game, like the game itself, or just like the the, yeah, the game itself. Part. Yeah, the, yeah, game, the itself game itself. Is great. I figured we should probably oh, talk God, about yeah. the game itself, right? Game, game itself was great. Very much enjoyed the game itself. Uh, watching, they were in the fourth quarter, um, so we were kind of on like a corner up top, uh, like basically hovering over the media section. I got to say hi to Derek Bodner. Oh, you want to hear a fun little story? I would love to hear a fun little story right now. Uh, Derek Bodner, I like. I was like, I saw, him, I saw him. I'm like, hey man, what's up? And he's like, he's like, what section are you on? I come up and say hi. So he came up outside the section at halftime. And this guy's walking by with like, his little kid, and he's like, oh, you're Derek Bodner, right? And he's like, hey, he's like, oh, I listen to your podcast and stuff like that, blah, blah, blah. And like jokingly under my breath, like just to me, basically, I was like, listen to my podcast? Like as a joke, because I didn't want anyone to say that. And Bodner asked the guy, well, you might know this guy, you listen to his podcast? And he, he's like, what podcast is yours? And I was like, out loud, like this step over. I was like, no, nah, I never heard of it. <laughs> I was like, girl, yeah, man, Excellent. why not? Yeah. I was like, I shouldn't have said any joke to myself. It wouldn't have been a problem. Bodner really set you up with that one. He really did. Bonda really, he really just like teed me up for that one big time. So, but yeah. Uh, so in the fourth quarter, the Nets were coming towards where we were. Um, so when when the Sixers just went full like full obsessive clamps defense and like just sent the the Nets kind of like scattering, that was all basically on the end of the floor right in front of us, and it was hyping us up. There's a bunch of Sixers fans around us. I saw a lot of Sixers gear down down there. Or up there, I guess. Um, yeah, I noticed that too. Just looking at the broadcast. Yeah, the one like the one like fifteen year old kid in like full Nets gear in our row was not a fan of us. Um, every time Simmons at the line, he's like, "Whoa!" He was like, "Look at us!" And we we're like, "Whoa!" He's got to make his foul shots at least. And I'm like, "Listen, kid, relax. All right, <laughs> come on." <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was great. Um, I was very happy to walk in there and not have to walk out with a loss. That was good. That would have felt like, kind of lame. But it was still a fun day either way. So um, I'd recommend going to Barclays. It's a nice, easy Amtrak ride up or a quick quick drive if you want to drive. There's a Tony Luke's nearby for some fucking reason, um, which was completely bonkers to me. Why? I, why? I don't get it. Um, but yeah, good game. Great play by Ben, as I said. Matisse did really well. Um, good to see Ferk. Al was okay. <laughs> so was what are your thoughts at this point about I think an interesting thing to talk about maybe would be what we think is going to happen when Embiid comes back uh, in terms of like kind of the new role they they have Ben Simmons in where he's playing a little more off ball. They're like having him be the role man and pick and roll a little bit more. I was trying to pull up the numbers um, before, before we started. I know earlier in the year we talked about them using Ben in pick and roll. And I think at that point we looked it up and he had, he had uh, maybe according to um, the NBA stats page had done it like four times and now he's done it 25 times um, and they don't allow you to like pick a, a specific segment of time to, to look at which is really stupid mm-hmm. but uh, just from watching you can tell they're doing that way more right. and I think it's really effective and it's like kind of what I think a lot of Sixers fans have wanted more uh, from Brett Brown in, in utilizing Ben Simmons do you think any of that goes away when MB comes back do you think it's like something they can continue to do I don't, think it, this... I don't think it i don't think it goes away i think it all depends on personnel and matchup right where 
what's the reason why it worked against the Nets? Because they didn't have DeAndre Jordan. And, you know, when you have, I mean, Jared Allen's in there, but I think he was in foul trouble too, right? Where when you don't have that guy who can just bust up that, that rim, that rim protecting or bust up any kind of like uh, lofted pass, it's easier to run those. Um, especially when you have, when you're running it with guys who aren't, I mean, they're not small, but, you know, Jared Jordan is very large compared to Ben Simmons and Al Horford. Um, so if he was in there, I don't think you would have seen it as much. But so I think it is personnel based more than anything else, and probably more opponent personnel than team personnel. But I don't think you see it go away. You probably see it done a little bit less. I'd love to see a pick and roll with Ben and Joel. I don't know why they don't do that as much. Honestly, maybe because you're just, just in general they don't pick and they don't they don't pick, pick and, and, roll and roll very often. Period, this is the most really. I've seen them do it since Brett Brown came here. Is it's in the time and has been out these last seven games. Yeah, because because too because I mean. You know, that was part of the Butler thing last year. Butler wanted to run pick and roll, and they were like, we don't really do very much of that. And then Richardson seems really comfortable in the pick and roll as well. So just the idea of wanting to keep that and kind of play to all your best player's strengths makes sense. Um, just to go back to your kind of your first point on, like, um, with Ben playing this way, I don't think it's necessarily that Ben can't play this way with him being on the floor. I think he just has to modify it a little bit. He can't just, you know... Because there's no, there'll be another body down by the lane, which is just you gotta beat us to move, or Ben's gotta do other things, or we gotta do some more clever stuff off the ball instead of just plowing down the lane. Um, but I think it, it, it should all point towards you figure Embiid will probably be back what after All Star break before trade deadline. We're thinking that probably makes the most sense. Like in that, well, little, he's supposed to be reevaluated in a few days, right? Right, because he was clear for non-contact, and I don't know the like exact fifteenth or sixteenth yeah. or something. I don't know the exact dates of those two things, but I know they're pretty close. But there's a little gap in between. Um, so say it that probably makes sense. It probably makes sense to just ride it out because you only have to wait, you know, three more games right. probably by the time he at the earliest be ready right. to just so, get to the All Star break. So ideally, as I've said before, and I think we've talked about this a little bit before too, is that by the playoffs, I think, and it shows you with. Horford playing a four versus Horford playing a five that Horford is better suited as a five, even though he wants to play the four, you know, we all, we figured this out by now. Um, so Horford's best positioning would be as the five off the bench. And we've talked about this before. We think we both agreed on it. Um, ideally you'd start to make that move around that time. And B comes back, you go, all right, we tried the two of them at the same time. Doesn't work super great. And not only that, it does work really well when they're kind of separated. And he's, you know, Horford comes in as a defensive uh, big and like a smart playmaking big as well off the bench when Embiid rests. And they do play a little bit together, but they don't have to, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to stay away like, like they're allergic to each other, but you don't have to tie them at the hip either. Um, and hopefully that should probably come with making a deal or two, perhaps at the deadline as well. And whether you slide someone into that starting five that is acquired in a deal or you slide Matisse in there. Um, I think the goal should be to not start the two of them alongside each other. And I don't care about the optics of, you know, paying a guy $109 million to get to come off the bench because it's not my money. Oh, yeah. I don't care. I don't give a shit about the optics. The optics are worse if you lose games. <laughs> so if that's what wins you games, that's how you play better, then you do that, you know. Um, and I think that's going to be, whether they do that right then or, Whatever, I think that's probably the answer of what... That's what it's showing me. You see a lot of this bullshit whenever... Any situation, really, but especially with Simmons and Embiid. Um, 
Because like the talking point for years has always been, well, they don't play well together, even though all metrics show that they do. Um, it's easy to say they don't, right? Uh, even though they've been a net positive while sharing the floor for their entire careers together. Fine. Um, so when saying that, it's easy to say like when, all right, so Embiid's out. So it's like, oh, Ben Simmons had a 30-point triple-double. So should they just trade Embiid and ride with Simmons? And that's the easy, pardon the interruption, lazy bullshit that is basically incredibly pervasive in sports media and incredibly lazy and annoying. Um, and that's what's going to happen until Embiid comes back. And once Embiid comes back, the first game they lose, they look, they kind of don't look like they're meshing very well. It's going to happen again. But the problem is, this is kind of getting off topic a little bit, but it's not Embiid and Simmons. It's everyone else around them is not built to maximize them. And the easiest change to make to this roster currently without shipping out like on mass people is to put Al Horford off the, on the bench and have him come out as a second unit player. That's the easiest modification uh, that hurts no one and benefits the team in, in, a, in a decent way. Yeah, and I, th- I think I think Matisse Thibault is like really playing himself into that to, to the point where I, I think it's I think you're going to get to the point we've talked about this before, but like by the end of the year, that's just it's going to be unavoidable. Um, if Al Horford continues to play, to play the way he's playing alongside Embiid, Matisse Thibault continues to develop like develop the way he has, and like I know he's on a little bit of a cold streak, but like hit threes at a respectable clip. Like I just I just think it it becomes really hard to not just keep him in the starting lineup when Embiid comes back or at some point after that um, if Embiid and Horford go back to playing the way they were together. Um, and I think it works really well too. Like it, I think I think it, it puts basically everyone um, under Ben Simmons, like slides them into the more appropriate position for them. It moves Al Horford to the five more more frequently, which I think we, you know, you just said and I, we both agree. Like I think most people agree that this is a better spot for him. And moves Tobias Harris to the four, where he gets more mismatches, and I think it's better for him defensively. It moves Richardson to the three, or at least like defending threes, um, or possibly Thibault. I think it just like makes sense all around. Um, it makes it a little easier to work the bench. Like I, I just think it's it's kind of a no brainer. Um, I think we're I think we're getting to that point. I mean, Thibault's basically playing, like, what, he got inserted into the starting lineup four games ago. He's playing, like, 33 minutes a game in those. Like, he's starting and playing throughout every game. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really leaning on him, and I, he's only gotten better as the season's gone on. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Like, you watch that game, the Brooklyn game, right? And, you know... Being there, there's more stuff going on, so you probably you watched the actual game itself more intently than I did, right? You would say that's a good game for Matisse Thibel, yeah? Great game. Great game, right? He went one for seven. One for seven. going to say, right? Yeah. Over five from three, one for three from, from the line. Four rebounds, three assists, one, you know, one block, two turnovers, three points total, but he had four steals and he was a plus seven. And part of that with, with Thibel's defense being his strongest suit, even when, you know, sometimes the shots are falling for him, sometimes they're not, but he's not really a high-volume offensive player. So part of me sometimes thinks, like, oh, maybe you put Quirk Miles in the starting lineup in in some situations um, and have Thibel come off the bench and he'll kind of be the defensive backbreaker on that second unit, even though Simmons plays with the first and second unit before even coming off the floor, typically, 
um, if you're going to have that second unit be, you know, Horford's your kind of crux of that, and you'll have, you know, Neto has been lately, or Burke, um, Mike Scott, or someone who's traded for whatever it is. There's not a ton of defense there, so maybe Thibault helps you there. But he just does so much, and he's able to play 33, 34, 35 minutes on a regular basis that I want him starting because I just want to see him on the floor as much as possible and, and impacting the game uh, as much as possible and also out there trying to shut down the other team's best players because that's when he's most effective. Yeah, and I thought I thought last game they did a little bit of that at the end. I think I think it was like six or seven times that they went back and forth between Thibault and, and Korkmaz just going offense-defense with substitutions. Um, I think you'll probably see something like that even if Al Horford... Uh, were to get moved to the bench, I think you and obviously he's a really good defensive player too. But like maybe you do see at the end of games, you're leaning on Al Horford a little bit more if it's an offensive possession, or maybe it's even like Mike Scott or something. Who knows? Or someone they pick up at the deadline, or it's Quark Maz. Um But I, I think yeah, everything you said, and I, I think it's he's been awesome. I've been like so impressed by how how well he's put things together. Um, and coming back from the injury, I was like I was really happy that. We had a couple of rough games, I think, coming right off of it, and then he's been awesome for the last four since then, starting. Yeah. Being a Sixers fan has done nothing to you if not tempered your expectations for rookie seasons. Um, and I've just been so pleasantly surprised. And I'm not surprised at like, the skill, but it's like, because, you know, he hasn't lost a leg yet. It's been great. <laughs> Let's see what happens still. But, um, yeah, and he's just had such a high... I mean, this is what we talked about um, when we were both saying that we liked him in the draft, too. You know, he's a plug-and-play, high-IQ guy who doesn't really need to take a lot of time to learn the game. It takes a second, but he has those instincts, so he just fills right in. Yeah, and he's so much more disruptive than I thought he could be in the NBA. Like, right away, at yeah. least. He's, like, already defensively, like, in terms of making plays, like, kind of the peak of what you expected him to be if he panned out. Oh, my God, yeah. And not only that, I think that it's it's even amplified alongside an improved defensive Tobias Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, still not great, but he's improved. Josh Richardson is a good, good defender. Horford and Embiid, who are both really good defenders. Um, and Ben Simmons, who's just playing out of his goddamn mind on defense. Um, it's, it, as he has last year, and then up a notch again this year, and it seems like up another notch in like the last week and a half yeah. or two weeks. Um just the ability to just kind of turn it on in a way that it's it's I'm always careful of saying stuff like turn it on and do that because it implies that he chooses not to defend at other times which is not the case but when in a certain situation against a certain player that he's definitely sized up with well he knows he can shut that guy down and he takes advantage of that yeah there aren't you know? there aren't that many uh, Pat Beverly's who can just do that for 40 minutes in a game yeah. Every game, and, like, and, there just aren't a lot of guys who right. do that. Yeah, and it, it's for a man his size too. He's really an on the floor defender. He's not much of a, you know, even when he is a shot blocker, he basically he's blocking it while it's in your hands. You know, he's not doing a lot of rim protecting per se for a man that size, but just because he's keeping his body so low and so strong and and just defending you on the floor, and he's just become so good at that. That it's so funny to look back, and you could very you could you could easily make the argument that, and he would probably admit to this at least a little bit that like he didn't 
care as much in college as he does in the pros. You know, he's pretty much come out and said it. Um, but if you remember the question, and they kind of couched it as a question of effort or whatever, but like there was a question of him going to college, like, does he, like, will he care enough to defend or will he try hard enough to defend? It's like, yeah, yeah, he will. <laughs> he's going to do that, it turns out. And he's going to be really good at it. Anything else from the last few games, or do you want to switch over to questions? Um, got one more, just one more small point I want to yeah. make about Ben Simmons about the defense defense thing. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, again, I believe this is something that Bodner had said in in a column or a tweet a couple years back, and I think about it every once in a while um, when it was talking about Robert. I think he was talking about Robert Covington's defense at the time, uh, and it was something like you know when people who are fans, whether they be casual fans or more intense fans or stat heads or whatever, are talking about offensive play, right? They're talking about like creating your own shot, catch and shoot, um, facilitating, right? Finishing at the rim, jump shooting, all this stuff. There's eight, 18 different components to offensive play. But then for most people, defense is just defense. Um, and it's hard for people to just kind of look at it and say like, oh, well, it's this part, this part. It's like, oh, he plays good defense. Um, and I think for a lot of people who are really good defenders, the average person wouldn't say they play good defense. They do little things that like you're not looking at because they're not, you know, like you said, like the Pat Bev shutdown guy. But Ben does those things and is also becoming that shutdown guy mm-hmm. where it's so very obvious he's so good at defense that you can't deny it. And that gets overlooked a little bit. And I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. And it's not one of those things where you have to like pull up his defensive box plus minus, right? You can just watch the game and see yeah. it. Even without, you know, games where he has five steals and two blocks, you just see the defensive impact that he has on the floor um, just at every possible turn. He really, he truly just, can defend just, every position, too. He's one of the few Yeah, guys and I feel like that's something that, that people well. like to say sometimes that's not necessarily true, but it really is for him. I've been so, I've been so impressed by him. Yeah. Um, all right, you want to take a quick break and then head over to questions, Max? Sure thing. All right, we'll wrap back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, Max. Um, here's a, we had one question I just want to give this guy credit for that uh, Clay Tissot asked, which we've already discussed. Just, if Matisse can become more consistent offensively, just moving out to the bench as a six-man make more sense against some smaller lineups. We've discussed that, but I just wanted to give you credit for asking that question because it's basically pinpointed our brains. Um, Here's one from Ryan Abrams. Max, do you feel more or less confident that the team will close out close games since Embiid's been out? I mean, I I feel less confident, honestly. Um, I mean, they've done it more, but 
And the one thing you can say is the way I like the way they've been playing recently, and they've been. Um, I think sometimes with Embiid, there's some like dumping it to him 16 feet from the basket to get the final like to it down the stretch when they need a bucket, um, and it works a lot. But I think that's like mm-hmm. a frustrating style of play that I wish they wouldn't do because um, I think they can just get better shots than that. That said, like Embiid is their most is the best scorer and also the most clutch player on the team probably. So I I I don't feel more confident, but I do, I do I have been impressed by how they've closed out games without him. I thought it would be a bigger uh turnaround towards a negative without Embiid. I thought they would really be lost without him more than they have been. Yeah, I agree. And I and I think I mean this this excuse has a uh, uh, expiration date fast, fastly approaching, but um, outside of Simmons and Embiid and Tobias Harris, now this team's still getting to know each other in a lot of ways, um, and that that comes in in the playing close games, especially towards the end, where you know Horford's played what thirty eight games as a Sixer, um, a bunch of those without Embiid, a couple, two of those, one of those without Ben Simmons, and what. But was it six or seven games or five or six games without Josh Richardson? So the core five has really only played together not that much when you look at it, really. Um, and I think part of them getting better at closing out these games and playing these road games too, again, against slightly subpar competition, is that they're finally getting comfortable with each other. Um, and, and I ho- and I hope some of it's Brett Brown figuring out how to better use the. Right, I mean, because yeah, I, I think you've seen offensively. But. They got to get comfortable with each other. He has to get comfortable with them as well. Um, here's one from Gunner. He asked, "Best Super Bowl food and are utensils an abomination to the Super Bowl party?" Um, I saw this question yeah. earlier. I I never have thought about utensils as being an abomination to the party. I mean, I guess it depends on what the food is, but I think if you have like. I don't know. You could have like macaroni right, and cheese, yeah. or like a potato mm-hmm. salad, or you could have like any kind of barbecue food at a at a Super Bowl yeah. party, and I think that's fine. yeah. I love a good hand food as much as the next. No guy. strong takes on the utensils, but yeah, yeah, utensils are necessary because even you know. Here, here's a, a tiny bit of a hot take. Uh, I I enjoy very much pulled pork. I'd rather eat it off a plate with a fork than on a sandwich. What is yeah. the, the rolls just getting in the way of me I'm and my you. pulled pork? Um, so stuff like that. Yeah. I understand like, you know, I love a good, uh, 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 Buffalo chicken dip and like a taco. I'm a big dip guy at parties like that and pizza and shit like that. But the utensil, I think, I think it's like, because that brings it all together. Right. Because yeah, you can have like a plate with like a couple of shrimp and some like Buffalo chicken dip and like a slice of pizza. But I feel like the stuff that you use utensils for is like the glue food, right? It's there to, to bridge everything else and bring it all together, and it won't let you down. I feel like that's what that's a really crucial component, I feel like. I feel like this utensil uh, hate is not going to fly. I don't like it very much. No. I, feel, I, I will say I feel like pizza is the best Super Bowl food, and I feel that way because, um, you know, people sometimes go, like, all out on their Super Bowl parties where they're, like, making some, like, four-layer lasagna thing or, like, homemade nachos or, like... And it's good, and like dips are great too. 
But if I want to just like fill up on something and have it be easy while I watch the game, like pizza's easy. Oh, it's incredible. Like, I don't want to have to have a plate and a and a fork and sit in my weird spot on the floor because there aren't enough chairs because there are never enough chairs or, or seats on the couch and like try to eat some wet food. Yeah. Like I I want something I can just like stand and eat without a right. plate. And pizza is that. Um, and yeah. it's easy. All right, it's just got. One more question and one kind of launching off point for a conversation, if that's fine. Um, where was it at? Oh, yeah. Uh, Steve Heidengren asked, if God forbid John Morant goes down, who wins rookie of the year? This is a hard question. Um, I My answer is probably at this point. It's like Jarrett Culver, maybe. But here's I, the point I want to make is that this is a pretty thin class, as it turns out, uh, south of... Um, Zion, who hasn't played yet. And I think based on hype alone and performance, say Morant doesn't play the rest of the season, Zion's just about to come back. So if Zion... Because the whole talk was always about, like, you know, Embiid didn't play enough games. Um, how many games you need to play to win this, win that, whatever, blah, blah, blah. That's usually for people who play the beginning of the year and then miss the last half of the season. But if you miss the first half and then you play the entire second half and you're active towards the end of the year and you're fresh in people's minds, that doesn't seem like as much of a, a problem for people, right? Just just like mentally. 100%. Easier to clear that block. Um, and then in a similar vein to that, um, I think Michael Porter Jr., who is really starting to put it together a little bit for himself um, and is a good story with the injury thing and he missed the year... Um, He'd have to kind of go on a, a big stretch here, but he's on a really good team um, that's probably going to go places. And, I mean, yeah, it's Jaws Award to lose right now, but if something were to happen, I would... If something were to happen and, like, they reset the odds right now and they're like, all right, you can go place your bets, I might go... I think I'd go Zion, Porter, Culver in that order. Yeah, like, I, I want to say Kendrick Nunn because he's been great, or maybe Culver, but, like... I think it is Zion, right? Like, he's going to be back tomorrow. If you're listening to this podcast, he's back today. Mm -hmm. He's supposed to come back against the Spurs tonight on on ESPN. Um, I would think that he's going to play a lot. Um, Maybe not the first handful of games, but, you know, very soon, unless he gets hurt again, he's going to be playing a ton. He's going to be putting up numbers. That team probably is poised to... um, I mean, they're three and a half games out of the playoffs right now. They're seventeen and twenty-seven, which uh, it's kind of rough right now in the in the West at the tail end there. Oh yeah, what a what uh, right a, now the Grizzlies what a weak, have to lose weak Western Conference. My God, how pathetic! Well, it's weak weak on the on the back end of the. No, playoffs. I'm, I'm rebranding myself as one of those guys. The Grizzlies, Spurs, yeah. Blazers, Suns fighting for that. last I'm rebranding spot. myself as one of those guys um, who diminishes. Um, any kind of achievement from a team or a player, and say, "Oh, well, they play in the East." Like that was like that's yeah. a fucking thing. Um, but I think like the Pelicans, it's a solid, at least talent wise, a solid team. He's gonna come back, and I'm sure just like kick ass. Uh, and like you said, it makes a huge difference. And I think Embiid had a lot of things working against him. It was not only that he only played the first half of the year. He was on a minutes restriction, even though, like, by the end, that wasn't really that much of a thing. But, like, people thought of him as someone who, even when he was playing, wasn't playing as much. And then also it's the first half of the year, and he 
hadn't played the two seasons right. prior. So it's like a lot of things working against him that Zion is seen as like he's the next LeBron, he's the next you know whatever. Um, and I think he's going to come in, and if he plays anything like what we're expecting, if you'd imagine that John Morant just like starting tomorrow was done, was shut down for the season, I think he probably is the favorite, yeah. um, even over Nunn and some other guys who are having, having really good seasons. Um, um, you said there was a jumping off point for a, a final discussion. Yeah, Max, I don't know left? how um, much you saw of this, this kind of simmering debate on Sixers Twitter the last few days. Um, mm, yeah. I know where it started, but I'm not going to, it's not, there's no use in getting into where it started to who said what or whatever, but that like that the process Sixers were more fun or more enjoyable. Um, is that what you thought I was going to mention? <laughs> or is it something else? I, I knew okay. that was what, yeah. Um, yeah I knew so that. our friend Jimmy D'Onofrio, J- Jimmy yeah. D'Onofrio is the one who, who sent yeah, us so, that. So he commented, right. and he makes a good point that I want to kind of use to branch off on. It says, losing got the Sixers where they are, but it wasn't supposed to become the identity, right? Since things worked exactly the way they were supposed to process-wise, why do parts of the fan base still cling to that identity? And is it because they're mad they're no longer bigger than the team? Um, I don't know if I'd go as far as that last... Pew, 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 pew. Yeah. I don't know if I'd go as far as that last line um, for a majority of people, at the very least. Um, it's a couple of things, right? It's that I think dif- differentiating between the terms fun and enjoyable here is is important, right? Can I also stop to, to differentiate another thing that I think is important? Like the team and basketball versus like the internet experience of right. the team. Yes. Like I think that's really what we're talking yes. about. When people say it's more fun, I don't think they actually mean the game. No, and no, no, no. I think they mean like everything else around it was more fun. Right. Uh, I don't think that's what the the thing that launched this whole thing wasn't worded that way, which I think is part of a problem. But uh, like you could you could probably very easily and you would get very little pushback from me that like, you know, Sixers Twitter or like the experience of talking about the Sixers used to be more fun than it is now. You will get no pushback from me on that argument. You know, I might not agree with you at all the time, but like, yeah, you know, you make some points there to say that the Sixers were more fun back then is borderline, but I'll, I'll, it's fine to say it was more enjoyable is, is, is asinine. Uh, and the only reason it could possibly even be more fun is because there was complete lack of expectation. So there was no reason to ever be disappointed in anything. So it literally couldn't not be fun. Like, the bar was so impossibly low that they almost became the losingest team in NBA history, and everyone was like, cool, sweet shit. That's why it was fun. And, like, why would you want to have so, like, impossibly low expectations anymore? The, we went through that for to get here for a reason, to never go through that again, right? That was the whole point. Uh, so, when you're, if you, like, pine for those days, that's fine, but I just think if you like take a second back, like you realize you're not actually pining for the team to be that way. Obviously, um, even if you say it that way. Here's here's what I would say. I wish what I wish were the case was that the Sixers had cleanly gone from process. Uh, I'm not gonna say it, from pro- process to progress, but like process to where the Warriors were 2014, and not even in terms of like winning 73 games or whatever year it was they did that. Like I just mean. Like, we've had so much contentious bullshit since they got good that kind of sucked. Like, the team's turned over a ton. Uh, our GM was, like, subtweeting and got fired, and we all hated him. Uh, 
I like Elden Brand, but like it's I don't know how much I trust him. Like it's just like it hasn't been as clean as you'd want it to be. Like it would have been. I think we would be having a ton of fun, more fun than we're having now, and comparable fun online to when they were bad. If it had been like Dario Sharich and Robert Covington and all these people turned out to be what we wanted them to be, and we're still on the team, and it was like this come up and like the Warriors right, had, but- right, where it's homegrown and all these things, because that's fun when when the team's like up and down and they can't win on the road and. Is Brett Brown going to get fired? Like, that all sucks. Like, that's not fun. Um, so I think it's less about, like, oh, it was better when they sucked, and more like, yeah, kind of. it kind of sucks sometimes to be, like, good but not – I don't want to say good but not great, but, like, very good but not, like, dominant. But, and I think we were dominant at tanking, and that's – whenever you're, like, the most extreme of something, that is just naturally true. fun to watch, to, like – root for and talk about. I think there's a bit of like your favorite indie band gets signed to a major label shit and now they're in like a Toyota commercial yeah. and you hate that thing. Um, there's the, I've, is it something I've said on this podcast many, many, many times. There's certain people who would rather be right than happy, which I will never understand. Um, and those people are furious all the time now about this team. But I think part of it too is that um, I remember before the 17 18 season, I thought I was being like reasonable and like smart and i'm like all right they won 10 games two years ago and they won 28 last year they were showing some improvement um i bet you they win like 38 to 42 games and that's like a logical progression and then they would like climb up they came out of the gate and they won 52 games they overperformed right and then as soon as they overperformed that's where the bar was it wasn't that they cleared the bar and now they have to come back to that same bar. It's like they pushed the bar higher and now they have to reach up and past that every time now. And as soon as the expectations went above, they probably reasonably should have been, people just can't wait to get mad about stuff. And then the more popular something is yeah. too, the more, um, I think a lot of the times the argument is used that like, uh, it's used as like a derogatory term. It's like, oh, this is what happens when like Eagles fans get into the Sixers, right? It's like a very easy like snide comment to make about somebody. But I think a lot of it is this is what happens when people want to uh, attach themselves to a thing to get something out of it, right? To I've made this point before about how like some people want to be like the I hate Tobias Harris guy. It's like just to watch just the game. You can you can still be the I hate Tobias Harris. Guy. You can hate Tobias Harris, but like it shouldn't be who you are as a person. That's too much. Shouldn't be your display name on Twitter, right? Yeah, but like, there's you shouldn't be the Tobias Harris right. hater, and that's a lot of the 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 fire Brett Brown people have like made it like it's their only thing on the internet, um, which gets them muted on my Twitter because like if you don't offer me something, why am I following you or listening to your tweets? It makes no makes no difference to me. Um, that's my big secret too, Max. By the way, um, I did a big mass unfollow on Twitter, and my life's been just so much better since then. Um, Damn, I need to do that but I got, so bad. I got tired I, I of have not done that. I it. I got tired of the act of actually unfollowing. It was just like kind of tedious. So now, if I see a tweet from someone and it annoys me, it's like to even the point of like upping my heart rate like a quarter of a percent, I just mute them. So like I follow right now. Let's see here. This is the secret. This is how you live it happy. And I'm still constantly frustrated. Uh, I follow eight hundred and thirty. You need to do a TED talk yeah. on this. This this really is like the secret to a fulfilling. Yeah, how life. to be how to this is how you live fulfilling life on social media from a guy who's constantly miserable on social media. Uh, I follow eight hundred and thirty nine accounts, right? Uh, 
so a lot of them are dead accounts and I, you know, followed people over the years and it's just going back and getting rid of everybody is hard. But, uh, so that's 839. I have muted. Oh, I can't find the number on here. Where do you go to find this? I want to see. How many I think you, I think you see the muted accounts number on your phone. I'm on my computer right now looking at it. So I think you go into the settings and privacy. This is enthralling podcast, by the way. Absolutely. Just great content. Uh, notifications muted. Yeah, I've muted content preferences. Uh, no, uh, go under settings and privacy. Go under notifications. <laughs> this is like this is the worst muted. podcast. Yeah. This is the worst podcast of all time. Uh, okay, go under pri- privacy and safety. You say uh, notifications, boss. Notifications. Yeah. Okay, got it. Then muted under advanced filters. Oh, good, good point. Um, so. I follow 830-some accounts, and I have muted 163 of them. It's <laughs> my new wow. move. I Mine's not giving me the number, but just from scrolling through, because uh, I'm on my computer, I'm seeing about, like, 35. Oh. I need to really up my, my Yeah, that's game. the Yeah, that's, that's the move, man. I, the only reason, also, so many of my mutes come from, I don't know if any of you out there, or Jim, you do this, uh, if you ever subscribe to other people's no, lists, I've never done that. I do that a lot for like, I do that for like news right. or something. I'll like, you know, campaign news or something. But then there's so many. It's like now I'm reading like Gateway Pundit and all this like bullshit. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna like un, I'm gonna mute these people. But I just like unfollow if it's someone, unless it's someone who's consistently replying to me and is being right. annoying. I feel like the, the unfollow is enough that I don't need to also mute them if they were to happen to reach out to me at some point or respond to something. Yeah. Um, but Yeah, I just do the mute a lot of the time. Because also the thing is, too, now it's like if you unfollow somebody, you'll still see their tweets if like you follow people who also follow them. Because Twitter's fucking horseshit. Mm-hmm. So. But anyway, that's all to say. Um, yes, it is probably less enjoyable to be on Twitter when the team is good, but the point of being bad was for the team to be good, so I guess just kind of suck it up. And mute people if you don't enjoy it, and then you'll enjoy it more. You can make it as fun as you want it to be. If it's not as fun as you want it to be, then do, you're, do you you're agree? doing just part of it is you too. Uh, do you agree that, oh my God, speaking of, <laughs> I'll tell you off, off air who just uh, followed me. Speaking of, of weird, uh, of people I want to meet. Perfect. Um, <clears throat> but um, this is also a great podcast talking about the things that you're not going to, uh, not going to find out on the yeah. podcast. Um, was it a certain? Was now it a I certain? Lost my train of thought. Was what it a certain saying? fake doctor? <laughs> uh, it was a, fer- a certain fake scout. Oh, I'll okay. Say that. I think that. I think you I think probably. Everybody know. probably knows who that is now. Although, actually, you could just go to who's following me if you're listening to this podcast and you're going to see who it is, but I just don't want to say their name on the on I the think air. everybody knows who um, it is. What, what were you saying uh, uh, just a second ago that I was going to reply to before I got uh, distracted by this? Um, I was just saying, like, you know, uh, yeah, that is who I thought it was. So oh, I it oh yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. You were saying that, you were, you were saying, reiterating the thing we've been talking about for the last 10 minutes, sort of. Um yeah, I think I think like if the Sixers were just better, it would be more fun. Like it would be obviously hot take winning is fun. But like no, if they were better and more consistent and there weren't as much drama. Like there's just been so much bullshit drama like every fucking year and this year included 
and last year with Markel Fultz, and the year before that with Brian Colangelo, and like it just every year, like even when they're good, it's like there's just so much crap to deal to deal with. Like I think if they were just definitively good with a roster they've had for a little bit, like next year if they if, putting aside whatever happens with this year, if they come back next year with the same team and they're awesome, I think it'll be really fun. And like it's fun now, it's different, but it's fun. But I think a lot of the online stuff is like there's just so much bullshit. And also people forget, people look at um, look at the process years with rose colored glasses. Oh. Like there was so much bullshit. Yeah, there was. With, like fucking Nets Daily and oh my god, uh, the CBS people and Deadspin. Like it was just, it was just so much bullshit all the time. And like not to mention the local people. Like I'm so happy I don't have to deal with that no, anymore. No, my god, it's. But it was really fun to have like this weird group of of people who were super into something. Like I think whenever something's niche like that, like you said, it's the indie band that gets right, too big. Right, but that's it's all like, still there. Now you, you can still have that stuff. It's not there. Twitter. I will. I will say Twitter is not as enjoyable as it was four years ago, three years but ago. But the people who were the people wait, so that the people who were as enjoyable as they were four years ago are not as enjoyable now. Maybe it's the people and not the thing. Right? Well, I think they're less active. Like, I'm way less active on Twitter than I was in 2014 or 2015. And I think a lot of other people are. I'm too. less active, but I've like, always sucked lot, at I mean, it. Like, it all doesn't the matter. Liberty Ballers people from that period are just, like, not even on Twitter or, like, hardly active anymore. I think that, like, I think that speaks to it became less fun so people kind of navigated away from it. I don't know. I just, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. I think the whole. I think saying it was, like, like more enjoyable and more fun when they were really bad. It's like, okay, well then what, what did you want to happen eventually? Did you, Cause if they were still bad this way, it wouldn't not be fun at all. Well, you wanted you wanted Nerlens Noel, Jalil Okafor, Michael Carter Williams and Joel Embiid to be the, the new early 2010s. Thunder, right. But tough shit. Right. And like, that would have been, that would have been, that would have been like a clean transition into like bad fun into really good fun. And we didn't really have that, but it's, it's still fun but, right now. I mean, they're, they're way better than they've wait, been at any other point in my lifetime. That Going I've back to that thing though, too, people wanted that because if those guys were the guys still, you, they could say, I was right about this and you were wrong. But because trades were made and they brought uh, outside guys, then you can't an say it as There's much. an emotional connection, too. There's no emotional, there's emotional connection, connection to Michael Carter-Williams. Who gives a shit? No, if he had been good, though, there I would be. It's but like, he's not. The same way that Embiid... Embiid is the guy that people feel most emotionally connected to because he... Because he's good. ...for a long time. And Ben Simmons, too. Like, beyond... Like, Josh Richardson. People or hate even ben if they Simmons. gone out and gotten Kawhi or whatever. Like, people well, hate that, Ben Simmons. That's true. They do hate Ben Simmons. Yeah. People don't want to enjoy themselves as part of the problem. That is that is yeah. true. We're all miserable. Yeah. We were miserable then, too. It's just we expected to be miserable, so it was fine. Anyway, thanks for listening. Now you know how to find how many accounts you've muted on Twitter. And get that number up, guys. Come on. Self-care. Um, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. See ya. to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of sometimes doing business has never felt harder 
But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.